CrimeCon, the world's number one true crime event, is coming to London, now on the 25th and 26th of September this year. It's such exciting news, and I am looking forward to seeing all of you guys on Podcast Row and checking out all of the exhibitors. Get inside the mind of serial killers and psychopaths. Learn from leading criminologists. Hear from the families and survivors. Meet your favorite true crime podcasters. Immerse yourself in forensic evidence and delve deeper into unsolved crimes. CrimeCon is the ultimate true crime weekend partnered by crime and investigation. And I will be there all weekend with bells on and a GNT in hand. So come and join us. And remember to quote Mens Rea for your special 10% discount. Limited tickets are on sale now. You can pay in installments, and tickets are, of course, COVID-proof. For more information, head to crimecon.co.uk. I can't wait to see you all in September. You're listening to the Mens Rea Podcast, and this is the story of Nicola Furlong. In October of 2011, 21-year-old Nicola Furlong embarked on an adventure to study abroad in Japan. She was attending Dublin City University, taking a degree in international business and languages. Nicola and her friend Sarah embarked on their Erasmus year abroad together. Both of the girls were from County Wexford. Nicola was from the seaside village of Kirklow. Her family owned the Roadhouse Bar in the picturesque beach town. Nicola played camogie for the local team and the family were also involved in horse racing. The two girls left for Japan in September of 2011 and took up residence in the college dormitory at Takasaki City University of Economics, about an hour north of Tokyo. Nicola's interest in Japanese began when she took the language in her fourth year at Loreto College in Wexford. She liked it enough to keep it on and chose to further her studies at third level too. On the night of Wednesday the 23rd of May, Nicola and Sarah went into Tokyo. They had tickets for the Nicki Minaj concert that was on that night, and they were excited to get dressed up and have a night out together. Nicola was in contact with her mother before she and Sarah went out, texting home to tell her mum that she had her tan done and she was ready to go and have a good time. Angela, Nicola's mother, smiled at the message. Nicola was a true girly girl and had no doubt gone to great effort getting ready for her big night out. But the next day, on the morning of the 24th of May, 2012, Nicola was found dead in a hotel room in Tokyo. The guardy called out to Nicola's home in Kerklo to break the news. Nicola's father, Andrew, answered the door, thinking that perhaps the police were calling about something to do with his car something minor. It never crossed his mind that something could have happened to Nicola. Andrew had spoken to his daughter the day before and she was excited for her trip into the city and the concert. Later, Mr. Furlong would describe his daughter as a homebird. She had returned from Japan over Christmas and then for another seven weeks early in 2012. She called home nearly every day while she was away. 
the family were informed that there was likely foul play involved in Nicola's death. There were no further details barred that their little girl was dead. A post-mortem was taking place later that day in Tokyo to try and establish Nicola's cause of death. A spokesperson from the Kayo Hotel, where Nicola's body was found, told the press that they had called an ambulance in the early hours of the morning, and a 19-year-old male had gone voluntarily with the Tokyo Metropolitan Police, who had responded to the scene. Police declined to comment officially, but said that the death was being treated as suspicious. The Department of Foreign Affairs stepped in to offer consular assistance for the family, and a course coordinator from Dublin City University was in Japan liaising with the authorities. The principal of Nicola's secondary school, Billy O'Shea, described Nicola as a quiet and hard-working girl who was popular with her friends. DCU also sent their condolences to family, friends and classmates of the young woman. The following day, what had happened to Nicola became a little clearer, though there were still no real answers. She and her friend had attended the concert, but it had run a little late. When they arrived back at the station to catch the train back to their lodging in Takasaki, a hundred kilometres north of Tokyo, they had missed it, and had a number of hours to wait until the next one. While at the station, it was believed that Nicola and her friend had met two young American men, who invited them back to their hotel room. Then, all four were thought to have had a drink at the bar in the Cayo Plaza Hotel. At 3.20am on Thursday morning, a guest rang down to reception, complaining of loud noise coming from a room on their floor. A member of staff went to one of the Americans' rooms and found Nicola lying on the floor and a 19-year-old man standing nearby. Nicola was rushed to a local hospital. It was reported that Nicola had been alive while in the ambulance, but that she had died shortly after her arrival in the hospital. Sarah, Nicola's friend, was in another room in the hotel and was also in a bad way. It appeared that she had been assaulted too. A family member told the press, quote, It's devastating, absolutely devastating. Now there's just speculation and trying to pass the time and it's not easy. Nicola's father still doesn't want to believe it, end quote. Friends began leaving tributes to the young woman on Nicola's Facebook page. She'd been due to return home in July. The Tokyo police made no comment on the case, but said that two American men were being questioned in relation to what had happened to Nicola, which by that stage was described by the papers as a killing. It emerged that there were marks visible on Nicola's neck, and police believed that she had been sexually assaulted. They were also awaiting toxicology reports to determine if the girl had been drugged. The two Americans, described as a dancer and a musician, were thought by the press to have denied allegations, but there were reports that there was CCTV which contradicted their stories. Meanwhile, Sarah's family had flown out to Tokyo to be with her. Very little information was provided by Japanese authorities to Nicola's family, not even confirming that her cause of death had been strangulation. The Irish press also struggled to get information on what had happened, with journalists being told by their Japanese counterparts that only select members of the Japanese media had access to police sources. The Furlongs told the press, quote, Nicola was a warm, generous, stunning person 
who always had time for her family and other people. Nicola will always be at the centre of our lives. She stood for everything that is good in life, end quote. Within days of Nicola's death, the two men were being detained on holding charges related to an assault while the investigation was ongoing. The men had been arrested when police arrived at the hotel room. Under the Japanese legal system, police were allowed to hold suspects for 10 days without any kind of court appearance. After this, it's commonplace for a holding charge, a charge related to a minor incident or just part of the overall crime, will often be put in place to allow for further detention. This is exactly what happened in the case of the two men held in relation to the attacks on the two Irish women and Nicola's death. On the 27th of May, they were charged with indecent assault in relation to Nicola's friend Sarah. The 23-year-old was named as James Blackston, a hip-hop backup dancer from L.A., However, the 19-year-old musician remained unidentified due to his age. The Tokyo Metropolitan Police said, quote, These two men allegedly took advantage of a female unable to resist due to the fact that she was in a comatose state from a highly alcoholic beverage. On a taxi ride between Shibuya and Shinjuku, they took advantage of a woman by touching her body. As that is an indecent act, they have been charged with quasi-forcible indecency, end quote. By June 5th, the second man had been named as 19-year-old Richard Hines, a keyboard player from Memphis, Tennessee, and a dedicated Christian who had moved to Japan in March of 2012. The two men had been in Japan working with a music artist there, James Blackston had a large social media presence across Twitter, MySpace and YouTube, but after the holding charges were placed against him, the accounts were closed down. Only a few further details of what had occurred in the early hours of the 24th of May emerged. That there was CCTV of the two men and the two Irish women in or around a taxi, and that witnesses reportedly said that they saw the girls being pushed into the cab involuntarily. Meanwhile, in Ireland, Kirklow rallied to support the devastated Furlong family. This episode is sponsored in part by Trip. It's been a stressful year, and to be honest, stress has been a constant nagging feeling in my life for years. But guys, I gotta tell you, my life has changed since I started using Trip. I've been using their orange blossom and chamomile CBD oil for about six weeks now, and not only has my stress and anxiety dissolved into thin air, I haven't had a stress headache in weeks now. I was always a bit wary of CBD, those little brown bottles in health food stores next to various herbs and supplements. They didn't seem like something that would work for me, but Trip is different. It tastes great, the packaging is modern and trendy, and it works. I've also traded out my nightly tipple for one of Trip's CBD-infused drinks. They're refreshing and low-calorie with amazing flavors. All this to say, Trip is now a daily part of my life and I will not be going back. I can say for sure that whether you're looking to ease work stress or for a way to wind down after a long day, take a trip to find your calm. Trip fits effortlessly into your lifestyle. It's THC-free, vegan, and gluten-friendly. To take a trip to happy days, go to drink trip.com and mens rea listeners will get 15% off their first order with 
free shipping using the code TRUECRIME. That's drink-trip.com and use the code TRUECRIME. This episode is also sponsored by Manscaped. So, lads out there, it's summertime, and everybody is a beach body. But if quarantine has left you with an extra cup size or two, you can make sure you're rocking an Adonis look when you've got your grooming sorted with Manscaped. And for Men's Rail listeners, you get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code REA at manscaped.com. With the Manscaped Perfect Package, you get the Lawnmower 3.0 with all its waterproof and cordless wonderfulness and that advanced skin safe technology to make sure your short and curlies don't get stuck in the heat. And you can keep things beach ready rather than turning into the swamp thing with Manscaped's Crop Cleanser Body Wash, Crop Reviver Testy Toner, and Crop Preserver Deodorant and Anti Chafing Moisturizer, which will keep you fresh down there and ready to, you know, get fresh. You can even subscribe to get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer every three months. Right now, you can also get two free gifts with your perfect package, the Shed Travel Bag and Manscaped Boxers. It really is the perfect package for your perfect package. Remember, get 20% off and free shipping with the code REA. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code REA. Trim your chesticles with the besticles. This episode is also sponsored in part by our good friends, BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or that's preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours and there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. And you can use BetterHelp worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash men's. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash M-E-N-S. And join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Right now, there's that special offer for Men's Rea listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash men's. By the end of May, the process of repatriating Nicola's body to Ireland was begun. Sarah managed to persuade Japanese authorities to allow her to return to Ireland too, in order to attend her best friend's funeral. Nicola's father told the Irish Independent that Sarah was having difficulties recalling the events leading up to Nicola's death, and said that she might have to return to Japan in order to assist with the police investigation. On the 31st of May, Nicki Minaj tweeted her sympathies to Nicola's family, and also denied reports that any of her backup dancers had been involved in the Irishwoman's death. On the 1st of June, the Furlong family gathered at the airport morgue in Dublin and watched as a coffin was transferred to a hearse for the long drive down the coast to Wexford. Her family stood in shock, and then Nicola's father, Andrew, sat behind the wheel and drove his daughter home, just like he had promised her he would do. 
When the vehicle reached Kerr-Clow, neighbours lined the streets, standing with their heads bowed in silence. When Nicola's remains arrived at the funeral home in Gorey, she was placed into a bubblegum pink casket, before being returned home for a final time for friends and family to say goodbye. Nicola's funeral took place on the 3rd of June. The family had wanted to keep Nicola at home for as long as possible, to give them time to say their goodbyes. After her removal from the family home at half-past twelve, a requiem mass was held at 1pm in St. Margaret's Church in Kirklow. The short distance between the Furlong House and the church was once again lined with friends and neighbours who stood out in the rain. A guard of honour was provided by the local camogie and football clubs and students from Loretto College. Congregants wore pink in Nicola's honour and a box of pink ribbons sat in the foyer of the church for people to pin to themselves. Nicola's coffin was carried into the church led by Nicola's childhood sweetheart and boyfriend, Danny. Her younger sister, Andrea, spoke to the packed pews, telling the nearly thousand-strong crowd of their plans to be old together, going shopping with their walking frames and so on. Mourners clapped for her in support of her strength and bravery to speak of her sister at such an awful time. The parish priest, Father Jim Fitzpatrick, told the congregation, quote, The Nicola you all knew and love had so much ability, so much energy, so much charisma, so much to offer in this life. So we grieve not just for the loss of life, but for what might have been, end quote. After the service, Nicola was buried in the small cemetery adjoining the church. 10,000 kilometres away, Japanese police still had 11 more days to detain the two American men in Tokyo, as there were two 10-day periods of detention for questioning allowed. The Irish Independent informed readers that Japanese police employed intensive interrogations designed to elicit confessions. They also carried out detailed investigations during this period in order to gather enough evidence to bring formal charges in cases. The conviction rate in Japan was 99.8% at that time, meaning that it would be unlikely for a case to make it to court unless it was very strong indeed. James Blackstone's lawyer, Sutomu Nakamura, told the press that his client had last seen Nicola before she'd entered the other, younger American man's hotel room, and he never went into that room or had any idea of what had occurred in there leading to Nicola's death. On the 8th of June, Andrew Furlong travelled back to Japan after receiving a request to speak with the Tokyo Metropolitan Police. It was expected that he would give a victim impact statement to police, and he would also do his best to uncover more details of what had happened to Nicola for the rest of the family. He was expected to stay for four days. When Andrew Furlong landed in Tokyo, he and Nicola's uncle, Dennis Corrigan, went straight to a meeting with the Tokyo police. Mr. Furlong gave comment to Irish reporters before he left the airport, saying he was about to embark upon one of the most difficult journeys of his life. He had consulted with senior guardee before the trip and had drawn up a list of questions to ask the investigators. The two men were met by representatives of the Irish embassy in Tokyo. Andrew and Nicola's uncle also planned to visit Nicola's room in the University of Takasaki after providing police with background information on Nicola and her trip to Japan. 
He spent a number of hours over a number of days giving information to the police, giving statements and delivering what was termed a victim profile statement, which outlined the desired outcome in terms of punishment in the event that there was a conviction in the case. It was understood that defence lawyers representing 23-year-old James Blackston asserted that their client was totally innocent of the crimes and he had not been present when Ms Furlong had died. Nicola's father and uncle were due back on the 12th and arrived into Dublin Airport late that evening. Andrew Furlong wore a chain around his neck which held his daughter's rings, and he'd been allowed to bring home Nicola's laptop which contained recent photos of his daughter. Mr Furlong spoke to the press about the series of meetings with the Tokyo Metropolitan Police and said that counterintuitively, each day was worse than the last. That said, Andrew had been well taken care of by the college authorities and said he'd been able to get some answers as to what had happened to his daughter, but he wasn't able to say too much. He did say he was confident that justice would be done. On the 16th of June, Japanese news sources began to report that the younger of the men, Richard Hines, had told the Tokyo Metropolitan Police that he had put his hand on Nicola's neck, but had not meant to kill her. Hines' name had still not been formally released in that country, as he was still a minor, according to Japanese law, where the age of majority is 20, and there were reports that his family had been attempting to bring him home since his initial arrest three weeks before. There were also reports that there was CCTV footage from the hotel showing Hines wheeling an unconscious Nicola through the lobby. Police sources said they believed the girl's drinks may have been spiked and that Nicola may have been killed after she refused the sexual advances of one of the men. On Friday the 22nd of June 2012, formal charges were laid against Richard Hines for the murder of Nicola Furlong. The community in Kirklow and in the county of Wexford again rallied around the Furlong family and began raising funds to allow Nicola's parents to travel to Japan and to attend the trial. A table quiz, a coffee morning and a walk were all arranged as part of the fundraising efforts, with the family saying any leftover money would be used to set up a scholarship in Nicola's name. On the 17th of July, Irish papers reported that James Blackston, who was facing charges of indecently assaulting Nicola's friend Sarah, had further charges put to him relating to an incident a month before Nicola's death. This was about a similar incident where Blackston was alleged to have returned to his hotel with a woman, described as foreign by Japanese authorities, where an assault was thought to have occurred. Andrew Furlong told the Wexford People newspaper that it was the family's intention to travel to Japan for Richard Hines' first court appearance, though they had to apply to the court for permission to attend. It had been explained to them that Hines' legal team may object to their presence in the courtroom, as it could be seen to prejudice the judge without there also being representation from Hines' family. So the Furlongs had written to the Japanese courts asking for permission to attend. They wanted to be there, even if very little was likely to happen in the court. But Andrew Furlong also said that they would respect the court's decision either way. The short trip over would also help to prepare other members of Nicola's family when the trial came around, so they could get used to Japan. 
On July 24th, Andrew and Angie Nicola's parents, along with her 18-year-old sister, Andrea, began their journey to Japan. They had been given permission to attend the hearing and would have an interpreter with them. Mr Furlong told the press that, for the family, it was better to be there and hear things firsthand than to sit at home waiting for the news to filter through to them as to what had occurred. This preliminary hearing took place on the 26th of July in the family court, given Heinz's status in Japanese law as a minor. The hearing was four hours long and was to determine if a full adult criminal trial would take place in the case. The court heard the victim impact statements given by the furlongs as well as the available evidence against the 19-year-old. The following day, it was announced that Richard Hines would stand trial as an adult. Mr Furlong told the press that the hearing had been very difficult and added that he had been advised not to speak of the contents of the proceedings due to the sensitivity of the case. Then, in early December of 2012, proceedings began before the District Court in Japan in relation to the charges of indecent assault against the 23-year-old dancer James Blackston. A barman from the restaurant where the two Irish girls had last been seen alive described how both women were intoxicated. They were in different states of consciousness, and one had been found passed out in the bathroom of the bar. However, the barman was not able to say which woman was in which state. Then, on the 19th of that month, Nicola's friend Sarah gave evidence to the Japanese court via video link. She said that after that night in the hotel, everything had changed for her. She often felt anxiety and sometimes found it hard to breathe. After the concert, Sarah said, she and Nicola had been approached by the two men at the train station. The two Americans had been friendly and the Irish women had gone to a club with them to dance and have a few drinks. Sarah said that the young men had offered one of their hotel rooms to the girls for the night, but she and Nicola had said no. They just wanted to have a good time and then make their way back to their university housing on the first train the next morning at 6am. Sarah recalled that she had blacked out some time at the club though. She and Nicola had gone to the toilet and when they got back, there were four drinks on the table with the two men. After that, Sarah told the court she had no memory of what had happened. The next thing she was aware of was Nicola being put into an ambulance. The cross-examination of Sarah focused mainly on how much the two women had had to drink that night. She declined to look at photos taken from CCTV footage captured during her taxi ride back to the hotel with the men saying it would be too hard to look at. On the 10th of January, James Blackston testified in his defence. He said that the accusations against him were false and the stories told to the court by the two women, Sarah and the other woman who he was alleged to have assaulted in Kofu, were lies. On the morning of May 24th, when the four had left the club, he and Hines had had to help Nicola to walk. Blackston said he hadn't felt responsible for the two Irish women, but that he wasn't going to leave them on the street. The girls had blacked out after the two had downed a drink while waiting for Blackston and Hines to return from the toilets. He said he'd been offended when Nicola's friend thought he was inviting her to have sex in his hotel room. The prosecution showed the court CCTV from the taxi in which Sarah and Nicola had gone back to the two Americans' hotel. 
The footage showed Mr. Blackston groping one of the girls and using explicit language towards her. It was the prosecution's case that, based on various testimonies and the CCTV recordings, the two Irish women had been forcibly brought to the hotel and assaulted. There was no evidence given related to toxicology reports to ascertain whether Nicola or Sarah had had their drink spiked on the night in question. Tsutomu Nakamura, Blackston's lawyer, said that the footage from the back of the taxi was inconclusive and said that one of the young women had lied in her testimony to hide the fact that she had been attracted to Blackston and demanded a not guilty verdict. The prosecution, however, demanded a guilty verdict and a four-year sentence for the young man. In his closing argument, the prosecution lawyer reiterated that Sarah, or victim A, as she was called during the trial, said she had no memory of the events of the night after they had had a drink with the defendant and his friend. They said that the multiple testimonies and the CCTV evidence showed that Sarah had been brought to the hotel forcibly, and there was no evidence to suggest that she'd been interested in the defendant. Mr. Blackston was then given the opportunity to address the judges and told the court that he felt sorrow for what had happened and said that his fiancée and the rest of his family were waiting for him at home. The verdict in this case was expected on March 13th. Mr. Nakamura said that he was confident that Blackston, his client, would receive a suspended sentence. Nicola's parents and the eldest of her sisters made their way to Tokyo again on the 27th of February. They planned to stay for three weeks to attend the entirety of Richard Hines's trial. Nicola's uncle, Dennis, told the press that the family didn't know what to expect and that their mood was very low, but they hoped that justice would be done. Proceedings were to begin the following Monday. Mark Levin, professor of law at the University of Hawaii, told the Irish Independent that the Japanese criminal law system had gone through reforms in the recent past, which had a major focus on victims' rights. Citizen judges who sit alongside the professional judges in criminal trials tended to be particularly harsh when it came to crimes with a sexual element. During his trial, Hines would be cross-examined not only by the prosecutors, but also by these citizen judges and the professional judges in the panel too. Though it was theoretically possible that Richard Hines could be given the death penalty if found guilty, this was unlikely due to his age and the circumstances of the crime. The sentence was most often used in Japan in the case of multiple murders. On the 3rd of March, the trial opened. The case was heard by six lay judges and three professional judges and the Japanese court heard a statement made by Richard Hines that he admitted to lightly pressing on Nicola Furlong's neck while having sex with her, but said that he had not intended to kill her. His defence suggested that Nicola had in fact died of an overdose of alcohol and drugs, and Hines himself said that he did not believe that he was the cause of Nicola's death. The prosecution alleged that Hines and his friend had got the two Irish girls drunk and may have drugged the women before bringing them back to the hotel in a taxi. There, the prosecution said, Hines had strangled Nicola with a towel. The following day, a written statement from a bartender at Scramble's Bar, where Nicola, her friend Sarah and the two Americans had been drinking, was read to the court. 
he recalled that the two girls had had three tequilas and had been brought a vodka and Red Bull, but he wasn't sure if the girls had drank the mixed drink or not. Stills from a CCTV camera in the lift of the hotel were shown to the court, which depicted Nicola sitting in a wheelchair. She appeared unconscious. Takuya Niwanu was the duty manager from the hotel on the night of Miss Furlong's death and told the court that he had helped arrange wheelchairs for the two young women. It was his understanding at the time that the girls had had too much to drink. Later, in the early hours of the morning, he went to Mr. Hines's room following a complaint about noise coming from it. When he arrived at the door, he heard a man's voice saying something like, she has no breath. He knocked on the door, and when he was let in, he saw Nicola lying on the floor. Mr. Niwano told the court that he noticed that Nicola's lips were white, and he began CPR. CCTV footage from the taxi taken by the two men and two women was played that day also. Only those involved in the case could see the video itself, but the public gallery in the courtroom could hear what was said. The men could be heard laughing, saying that the two Irish girls had, quote, just fallen into our laps, end quote. Richard Hines also said, quote, we gotta keep them fucked up, end quote. And James Blackston then said, quote, we're gonna fuck them and leave them in my room. We're gonna fuck them, that's it, and then send them on their way, end quote. The video also showed the men fist bumping each other in the back of the cab and touching one of the unconscious women. Reporters said that Nicola's parents, who were sitting alongside the prosecutors, were visibly shocked by what they saw on the tape. Test results from a toxicology screening shown to the court revealed that there was Xanax and lidocaine in Nicola's system at the time of her death. Both of those drugs had been implicated in date rape cases in Japan before. Evidence was also heard that Nicola had been legally prescribed Xanax to treat mild anxiety and that lidocaine could have entered her system if it had been applied to her throat during attempts to help her breathe while unresponsive. There were also bloodstains found on a bedsheet and a towel in Richard Hines's hotel room, which matched Nicola Furlong. Then, further forensic details were presented. Dr. Kenichi Yoshida carried out the autopsy on Nicola's body and told the court, chillingly, that Nicola had died in great distress. It had taken a number of minutes. Nicola had scratch marks and abrasions that could have been caused in a struggle with her assailant as she tried to defend herself. There was also internal bleeding in several places and a five centimetre wide mark around her neck. It was Dr. Yoshida's conclusion that a soft object had been placed around her neck and used to kill her. Dr. Yoshida was questioned by Heinz's lawyers as to whether it was possible that there was an alternative cause of death, specifically whether Nicola could have died from the mix of drugs and alcohol that had been found in her system. But Dr. Yoshida said that Nicola, quote, didn't just die, she was killed, end quote. Further, the doctor testified that if drugs and alcohol had been the cause of death, Nicola's respiratory system would have shut down, but there was no evidence of this at all in her autopsy. This line of questioning went on for a while, and Dr. Yoshida became frustrated, saying he was not going to continue, quote, answering the same meaningless questions again and again, end quote. A doctor from the emergency room that Nicola was taken to also gave evidence. Nicola had arrived at the A&E at 3.53am and doctors had got to work. 
They had tried heart massage, lung compression, intubation, and an injection of adrenaline, but none of their efforts were successful. Dr. Ida pronounced Nicola dead after about five minutes. Dr. Kenta Ida was asked specifically about nine needle marks that were present on Nicola's thighs. Dr. Ida explained that one of his colleagues, who was a trainee, had made several attempts to take a blood sample before he was successful. The doctor said it was a hard spot to take blood from. On the 6th of March, Sarah gave evidence of what she recalled from the night of Nicola's death. The woman remained unnamed in court proceedings and gave evidence to the court via video link from elsewhere in the building. She described how she and Nicola had first met the two Americans outside a train station. They'd approached Nicola and Sarah and had asked where the girls were going, which directly contradicted the statement that Hines had given. Sarah, or Victim A, as she was called again, was asked by both legal teams how much the girls had had to drink that night. She said they'd both had mixed drinks that were about 750 mils. A third of that was vodka and the rest was fruit juice. They'd also had a cassis and soda at the concert and two tequila shots at the bar where they'd gone with the men. But the young woman said she did not remember anything after the second shot. Sarah gave evidence that the two Americans had invited her and Nicola to stay with them overnight in the hotel. But she told the court the girls had strongly declined this. They both had boyfriends and weren't interested in staying with the young men. But the two Americans had seemed friendly rather than dangerous and the girls didn't think that going to a public place would be risky. The young woman also said she was aware that there was a recording of what had gone on in the taxi back to the hotel that night and had found out about it something like two days after Nicola's death. But she didn't remember it and hadn't watched the video as it would be too upsetting to see, quote, someone doing something that I didn't want them to, end quote. Sarah told the court that she had never blacked out before while drinking, but had once forgotten where she'd left her shoes at a house party. Speaking about her friend, the Irish girl said, through tears, quote, Nicola was the most kind and gentle and generous person I've ever met. She was an amazing person with such a bright future that she can't have anymore, end quote. Finally, Sarah said she was angry at Richard Hines for what he had done and for not taking any responsibility for it either. On the fourth day of the trial, March 7th, an American pathologist appeared on behalf of the defence. Dr. Marion Hamill had reviewed the autopsy report and photos. She told the court that, based on this, she thought the marks on Nicola's neck were quote-unquote fairly ambiguous. She also said that the amount of alcohol and mix of drugs in Nicola's system would have dulled the intensity of any pain she was in. Dr. Hamill's findings did not drastically differ from that given earlier by Dr. Yoshida or back up Hines' assertion that he had just lightly pressed on Nicola's neck. However, the issue of whether or not a towel had been used in the course of Nicola's death was important for the Japanese court as if an implement had been used, it would increase the level of intent, and therefore the severity of the sentence handed down. Richard Hines' family had begun attending the trial by this stage, and it was noted that they were wearing matching bracelets with In Rich We Believe, which they had sold in Memphis to help raise money for his defence. 
The next day, Elena Rogers, one of Richard Hines's ex-girlfriends, spoke about her knowledge of the defendant in the case. Their relationship started when she was 17 and Richard Hines was 16. Ms. Rogers said that this relationship had ended because of her and that Hines had done nothing wrong. She told the court that Richard Hines was a sweet and thoughtful person. He was a very gifted musician and a devout Christian. The two had never fought in the course of their 11-month relationship and she had never seen the defendant angry or drink alcohol. Then the prosecution read out portions of the transcript of Hines and Blackston's conversation that was recorded in the back of the taxi on the way to the hotel and it was put to Ms. Rogers that she only knew one side of her former boyfriend. The witness denied this, saying she knew every part of Richard Hines and that they'd been together for a long time. A statement from a friend of Mr. Hines, who was also a musician and was known by the moniker DMAC, was then read to the court. He recalled that in the early hours of the 24th of May, he had called Hines's room and a drunk-sounding woman had answered the phone. Hines had then told him that the woman had blacked out while the two were having sex. Later, Hines called him back and told DMAC that the woman was now unconscious and DMAC went to Hines's room and attempted to wake Nicola up by putting a cold, wet towel on her face. This episode is also sponsored in part by my best buddies, Best Fiends. That's friends without the R. I am so happy that summer is here. With everything opening up a bit more, it really feels like one big vacation. And that means I'll be playing Best Fiends like crazy. Best Fiends is the five-star rated puzzle game that's the perfect travel companion. And you can download it for free from the Apple App Store or Google Play. So you can take Best Fiends with you everywhere. Collect more of your favorite cute characters while you're waiting in line at an amusement park or soak up just a little more sun as you try to defeat just one more challenging level. And Best Fiends has over 5,000 levels, so the fun never stops. Every time you play, there's always something new to experience. Make the most of your summer downtime and spend some time with your favorite fiends. Download Best Fiends on the Apple App Store and Google Play for free today. That's friends without the R, best fiends. And finally, this episode is also sponsored by Dr. Death from Wondery. One Nefarious Doctor, a hit podcast, and 15 million listeners later, Dr. Death is still making waves all over the world. Dr. Death is the true story of Dr. Christopher Dunch, a sociopath with a scalpel who left a trail of bodies behind him. Before he was stopped, 33 patients would become paralyzed or die under his care. Now, the phenomenon of Dr. Death is being reimagined in a new streaming series starring Alec Baldwin, Anna-Sophia Robb, Joshua Jackson, and Christian Slater, exclusively on Peacock. Experience three brand new bonus episodes of the Dr. Death podcast, where the cast interviews the real-life characters they portray in the streaming series. Golden Globe Award winner Christian Slater sits down with Dr. Kirby, the doctor who finally took Dunch down. Anna-Sophia Robb talks to Michelle Shugart, the district attorney who put him behind bars. And Dr. Death host and reporter Laura Beale speaks with the full cast about how making the show changed their perspectives on institutions and the medical system. 
To listen to these new bonus episodes, follow Dr. Death on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. On March 11, 2013, Richard Hines took to the stand to be questioned by his legal team. He gave his background, saying that he was a professional musician and was the music director at a church. Hines said he was also involved in other Christian activities in his community, too. Hines gave his explanation of what had happened the night of Nicola's death. According to the defendant, the two Irish students had approached him and his friend outside a train station on the evening of the 23rd of May. The girls had struck up a conversation with them, asking if they spoke English. The men had offered to allow Nicola and her friend stay with them in one of their hotel rooms in the city that night. Hines told the court that the two students became very drunk very quickly, and he felt that he couldn't, in good conscience, leave the women there. He said that the conversation that he and Blackston had had in the back of the taxi was meant in an ironic way, and that he didn't mean what he had said. His defence lawyer had asked if the conversation was normal between men in his peer group, and the defendant agreed that it was, telling the court that the words didn't mean exactly what they were saying. When they got back to the hotel, Hines said that he had refused to have full sex with Nicola, as he didn't have a condom, and that in response, Nicola had shouted at him. He went on to say that he had been asked by Nicola earlier to put his hands around her neck, and so he had done this to please her, but also in order to stop her shouting. After a while, he heard her breathing go strange, and he saw that Nicola was losing consciousness. Hines testified that Nicola hadn't appeared afraid, or like she was resisting or suffering. After she blacked out, Hines had attempted CPR. In relation to a bloodstain found on his hotel bed, Hines explained that while the two were in bed together, Nicola had stopped, turned around, and vomited. There had been blood in it, and that's how the stain occurred. After this, the two had resumed their intercourse when Hines asked if Nicola wanted to continue. Hines then said that he had told Japanese police that he had pressed on Nicola's neck for no more than 30 seconds, but on the stand he insisted that this had been taken down incorrectly by the officers in his statement as two to three minutes. Hines had asked for the statement to be amended, but said this had not been done. He also agreed that police had found an unused condom in his jeans pocket. Hines couldn't remember where it came from. The furlongs were understandably visibly distressed during Hines' testimony, and at one point asked for the court to instruct Hines as the witness to stop referring to Nicola as Nicky. He'd used this name a number of times, however, Nicola never went by that. If she wasn't called Nicola, she answered to Nick. The next day, Richard Hines was examined by the prosecution. When asked, the defendant said that he had put both of his hands on Nicola's neck. The lawyer questioning him then pointed out Hines had failed to mention this the day before, but Hines responded that he hadn't been asked about this specific detail of the circumstances of Nicola's death. The prosecution appeared surprised by this admission, as it was not what was on the record as what Hines had said in July the year before at the initial hearing in the proceedings. Hines said at this late stage he couldn't remember exactly what he had said, and suggested that there might be an error in the court record. Hines insisted again that he had only likely pressed on Nicola's neck. At this, the lawyer asked why it was that Nicola had died then, if this press was so light. 
Hines responded that he had no explanation for it either. The prosecutor then asked the defendant if he understood the testimony of the two pathologists who said that there would have had to have been sustained hard pressure on Nicola's neck. At this, Hines said, quote, If I misjudged the pressure, I humbly accept it, if I misjudged it, end quote. Hines was also examined as to why it was that, despite his testimony that he and Nicola were being intimate together, which according to the defendant was initiated by Nicola, both still had all their clothes on. In response, Hines explained that that's how Nicola wanted it, and he'd gone along with it because he was a gentleman. He'd also testified earlier that he had not touched Nicola's chest or groin. He said this too was because he was a gentleman. Asked if a gentleman puts his hands on someone's neck and applies pressure, Hines said that that had nothing to do with being a gentleman. In relation to the conversation he had had with Blackston in the taxi, Hines again said that he hadn't meant the words as they were being taken, and that he and Blackston had brought the girls back to the hotel simply for them to rest, because he was a gentleman. Hines repeated that Nicola had initiated sex with him when she'd roused from her blackout state. A question from the Furlong family was put to Hines via the prosecuting team. They wanted to know why Nicola had died. Hines said that he did not have any answer for that. The defendant was also asked if he knew how much suffering his statements had caused the Furlongs, and Hines had simply responded, quote, they came across the world to court to know what happened, end quote. After this, evidence and testimony in the case concluded, and the victim impact statements were read in the court that afternoon. Andrea, Nicola's younger sister, admitted that she felt anger and hatred for Richard Hines, continuing, quote, He took someone from us and ruined all our lives, so a life for a life, end quote, referencing the fact that murder was a capital crime in Japan. Nicola's mother, Angela, did not feel the same about the death penalty, but said that, particularly as Hines had not taken responsibility for what he'd done to her daughter, and had cast aspersions on Nicola's character, Angela felt that the punishment should, quote, at least begin to reflect the pain he has caused us and all the people who loved Nicola, and the pain he continues to cause. On the 13th of March, the final and eighth day of Richard Hines's trial, the closing remarks were made. Prosecuting lawyers said that Hines had shown no remorse and that his testimony, which had been designed to make Nicholas seem promiscuous, had violated Nicholas's dignity. The lawyer called for the maximum sentence to be imposed. In this case, as Hines was under 20 and considered a juvenile by Japanese law, this was five to ten years. This was completely counter to what the Furlong's expectations seemed to have been up to this point. Then, lawyer Kenji Hattori gave the closing statement for the defence. He said that there was not enough evidence to convict his client. He asserted that evidence given by Dr. Yoshida was prejudiced in favour of the prosecution. Then, Heinz himself addressed the court once more to speak directly to the judges and plead his case for a final time. But instead, he spoke mainly to the Furlongs themselves. Hines said he was glad that the Furlongs believed in the same God as him, and that made his heart happy. He then said, quote, Mrs. Furlong, it truly saddens my heart when I look over and see you crying. 
Mr. Furlong, it pains me when I see you red with frustration. I look you dead in your eyes today and tell you that your daughter did not suffer. End quote. The prosecution objected to the fact that Heinz's comments were directed to the Furlongs, who appeared angry and confused. Heinz then told the judges that he often cried himself to sleep at night and assured them he was aware of the emotions involved in the case. He said he was not a, quote, strangler, murderer, or pervert, end quote, and reiterated his earlier statements that he believed he had not killed Nicola Furlong. After the proceedings concluded for the day, Angela Furlong spoke to the press about Heinz's comments directed to her and to Nicola's father. She said she was angry that Heinz appeared to put them and him in the same category when he said that they shared a faith in God. Angela said she felt bitterness watching him sit with no reaction through the earlier days of the trial, but was shocked when he had addressed her and her ex-husband Andrew directly. Hines had never looked at them in the court before that point, and Angela said, quote, he's probably ashamed. I only hope that he feels some sort of remorse, end quote. Nicola's mother had hoped that Hines would tell the truth of what exactly had happened in his hotel room in the early hours of the 24th of May the year before, but now she felt she might never learn the truth of how her daughter had died. Meanwhile, James Blackston was back in court for his sentencing, relating to the assault on Sarah and another woman from Brazil in an incident the month before Nicola's death. The first victim, who had been attacked in Kofu, said that she had been drinking tequila with Blackston and passed out. When she woke up, she felt dizzy and so ill that she thought she might die. Blackston had told the judges that the two women who had testified against him had lied throughout, and that any contact that had occurred had been consensual. Initially, Blackston had told police that no contact had occurred at all in the case of Sarah, but then he was confronted with CCTV footage and admitted interactions that were sexual in nature. Blackston was handed down a three-year sentence with labour, with 150 days deducted for time served. The verdict came in for Richard Hines on the 19th of March. The presiding judge said that Hines's explanation of what had happened to Nicola was irrational and said that this had been an atrocious and vicious crime. Hines had then dishonoured the victim with his account of what had happened. The maximum sentence of five to ten years was imposed with 120 days deducted for time served. The judge acknowledged that the family wished for a harsher punishment and said that this was understandable, but it wasn't possible to impose due to Hines's age. After the verdict and sentencing, the Furlongs spoke to the press. Andrea, Nicola's sister, was angry. She said she was disgusted and felt let down by the Japanese justice system. Angela Furlong was pleased that the judges of the court had, quote, cleared Nicola's name, end quote. They found that Heinz's story was a fabrication and Nicola had not instigated any of the actions that night with Heinz. Angela added, however, that the sentence did seem light to her. Quote, Nicola's life was worth more than that, end quote. Andrew said that his expectations had been adjusted when they found out that Heinz was being tried as a minor. He hoped that Heinz would serve more years than less, and pointed out that if he only served the minimum of five years, Heinz would serve only two years more than James Blackston, who had been convicted of sexual assault. 
the Furlongs still felt that they didn't have a clear idea of the true circumstances leading to Nicola's death, despite the trial, and later told the press that they were hoping to have further blood tests run to determine what, if any, other substance she had ingested on the night of her death. They said that they were heading home to begin their mourning of Nicola and planned to go directly to Nicola's grave to lay flowers and tell their eldest daughter what had happened in Japan. Blackston began his appeal process shortly after his sentencing. Hines appears to have mounted no appeal in his case. When the Furlongs returned home to Ireland, Andrew once again spoke to the press, saying he and the Furlong family were contemplating suing the Cayo Plaza Hotel for negligence. The hotel denied any allegations that it had broken Japanese law by allowing Hines to bring Nicola to his hotel room while she was unconscious. The Furlong's argument was that the hotel was obliged to keep a register of guests and as Nicola was unconscious, the staff at the hotel reception would not have been able to check her identity and register her. However, failure to do this was considered simply an administrative breach of hotel regulations and attracted a fine of only 5,000 yen, less than 50 euro. No civil suit was taken in the end. Heinz was to serve his time in Fuchu Prison, just outside Tokyo. There are over 2,000 inmates there, but unlike prisons in Ireland and the UK, the Japanese institutions are very ordered and stringent. There are rules to govern nearly every aspect of prison life, and inmates spend seven hours a day working, making furniture, printing greeting cards, assembling toys, and so on. Speaking out of turn is not allowed, and shouting can get you a spell in solitary. There is also a mandatory specified period of time daily dedicated to inner reflection. When the Hines family returned to their home in Memphis, they spoke at their local church. They said that they were grateful that Richard Hines had been handed down the five to ten year sentence. Heinz's father told the congregation, quote, It's the equivalent of going to college for four years. It's the equivalent of being in the military for four years. It's the equivalent of going off and making yourself better for four years. So that's what we told Richard. End quote. A spokesperson told the press that the Heinz family didn't believe that their son had intended to kill Nicola Furlong and that what had happened was in fact an accident. In late 2015, James Blackston completed his three-year sentence. Shortly after, he resumed his life and pictures of him emerged at a party alongside Snoop Dogg. Danny, Nicola's boyfriend at the time of her death, said that Blackston had not gotten what he deserved, nor had Richard Hines. Danny added that not a day goes by that he doesn't think about Nicola and how she died. The picture of Blackston with Snoop Dogg was followed by an Instagram post put up for New Year's in 2016, which stated that Blackston believed that God had a plan for everyone and that things happen for a reason according to God's plan. He said that the circumstances around Nicola's death and the assault of her friend were a, quote, unfortunate imbroglio all around, end quote, and thanked people for standing by him and supporting him during his time in Japan. In January of 2018, the Sunday World reported that they had obtained documents related to Richard Hines' potential release from prison. 
His minimum term of five years had elapsed in November of 2017. However, prison authorities decided that even though Hines had gone through five years of classes and interviews with an eye to rehabilitating him, his effort had failed. According to them, there was only a moderate expectation that Hines would be rehabilitated. According to the Irish Independent, the young American had failed to convince Japanese authorities that he had sincere remorse for what he had done to Nicola. In May of 2020, Andrew Furlong spoke with the Irish Daily Mail. He told the paper that his daughter's room remained unchanged in his house and would remain that way as long as he was there. The family were unable to arrange a memorial mass for Nicola last year due to the COVID restrictions. Andrew Furlong said that even in good times, the grief over Nicola was present. Her younger sister, Andrea, had had a baby of her own a few months before, and alongside the joy of a grandchild was the pain that Nicola wasn't there to experience it. Nicola's father said that now that time had passed and he'd experienced the reality of the never-ending pain of Nicola's loss, he had grown more angry at Richard Hines. He had kept himself busy and continued to work, but Nicola was his first thought on waking and his last going to sleep. He and a number of other parents who had lost young people had created a memorial garden in Wexford, and the families had formed a sort of support group for one another. Some of the money raised to help the Furlong family go to Tokyo that was left over had been donated to local families who had children needing life-changing or life-saving procedures, and Andrew said that Nicola's legacy lived on through those families and through those kids. Richard Hines's 10-year sentence will be up in 2022. Thank you for listening to Mens Rea, a true crime podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at mensreapod, or you can send an email to mensreapod at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible in part from generous donations by supporters on Patreon. A special thanks goes out to Sandra Heelan, Sabrina Catley, Stacey Parks, Mark Surlis, Courtney Simpson, and Gail O'Leary. Thanks to each and every one of you for signing up to support the show. It's hugely important to be able to keep Mens Rea going, and along with my undying love for helping out, you get ad-free and bonus episodes as well as nifty merch. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash mensreapod. If you want merch without any commitments, you can head to the Mens Rea merch shop at TeePublic. The link is in the show notes for you. Thanks also to our sponsors for this week, Best Fiends, BetterHelp, Trip, Manscaped, and the good people behind Dr. Death. Remember, supporting our sponsors supports this show, so check them out in the show notes. Our theme music is Quinn's song The Dance Begins by Kevin MacLeod. Additional music is by Juanita Meisel and Kevin MacLeod. This episode was researched, written, and produced by me, your host Sinead. All sources for today's episode can be found in the show notes or on our website, www.mensreapod.com. And so, till next time, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Potential to prejudice, to prejudice as something that had potential to prejudice, to prejudice, as it could be seen to prejudice, to prejudice the judge. (laughs) 